Listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is the winning Warcry segment. Happy to have Jason and Dan with us. Welcome back, boys. Hey. How you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. So I was listening to a How to Podcast video the other day, and it mentioned that at the beginning of every video, you should announce one interesting thing about yourself. So the thing I'm going to announce right now is that I thoroughly enjoyed the new Weird Al Yankovic movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was, what gonna... was good about it? It was amazing. Um, have you ever seen like UHF or like, yeah. Yeah. So it was very much like in that spirit of like hilariousness so the best part about this is like if you look at it it says like biography like kind of like a elvis or elton john or freddie mercury bi- biography except this is of uh, weird al yankovic none of it is true like that's the most amazing <laughs> thing about it like at one point he's dating madonna you know which like in real life they met for like 45 seconds one time but he has this whole thing where he's dating madonna and like He's the most amazing music salesman of all time, you know. And <laughs> okay, like, so it's it's his perception of his own autobiography. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, made, it, that's like, good. I tried to describe that's, it. It's pretty good, actually. It's really funny. It's really funny. And I told uh, I told my wife I was like, it's like as if a five year old would describe their life. You know what I mean? Like how like uh, absolutely amazing and wonderful they are. It's it's so funny. You know, I you always learn something about your coworkers and your friends when you get in their cars and you find Weird Al Yankovic in their in their uh, playing in their playlist. <laughs> like I had this one, I have this one buddy that I used to uh, went back when I was into uh, weightlifting. I would I would live with this guy. This guy is like a lumberjack. He's huge. He does like five plate stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, again, his car once, and he's got polka music. <laughs> and weird out and weird out playing and i'm like oh dude i uh i just learned something about you <laughs> you know it's <laughs> my that's awesome it's just really funny you know everyone's got different tastes and stuff but uh weird out yankovic's is a, or yankovic is a he's an interesting type of humor uh yeah and this this one like it it was really funny to me like if you like uhf you're going to absolutely love this movie um, and I See, that's the even, thing. I liked UHF when I was like 13. Have you seen it recently? No, I haven't. <laughs> Maybe we should fix that because it's still amazing. <laughs> is it still okay? It All is. Right. <laughs> it is. So, uh, Dan, it sounds like you are not uh, too familiar with Weird Al, but that's okay. I I like uh, the little – I think I've gotten like one Weird Al Yankovic album, but – Yeah. Um, yeah. He's an acquired taste. For sure. You know, so (laughs) 
Yeah, but it, this movie though, um, Daniel Radcliffe was handpicked to play him in there, and it and he does like such an amazing job. It's so funny. He so. looks a lot like him. The he resemblance does. is great. He does. And he's just it's so over the top. Like this movie's just so over the top, like the entire time. And um and Daniel Radcliffe, like he he works it. Like he does a really good job. So check it I out if you love can. Love all of these former like not the child actors, but like the teen superstar actors who become incredibly famous and rich really early on. And then but they're still because they didn't get famous as kids, it was teens, they like Robert Pattinson, Kristen Stewart are the same way. They just get really into the craft and they do a bunch of weird stuff because they don't need the money. Yeah. Um and so I've seen Daniel Radcliffe in a few things that were almost unacceptably weird, but he was incredible in them. Yeah, there was a TBS show called Miracle Makers. Oh, I've seen the first season of that. There's a few more seasons I haven't seen, but yeah. The first season was phenomenal. The other ones after that kind of fell off quickly, but um, the first season was really funny. And he was was super weird and funny in that too. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. But that's not what, guys, we're not here to talk about Weird Al and Daniel Radcliffe. We're here to talk about Warcry. <laughs> I know I, I derailed us from minute one, but you know what? That's okay. Uh, we've got a great show for everybody. We're going to be talking about the Rottmeyer Creed. Uh, we've got some fighting experience to lend to our perspective this episode. And we're going to be talking about how to fight monsters. I know Peter, uh, one of our longtime friends and tournament goer, he said uh, some of his feedback of the last episode was, great breakdown on monsters, how do we beat them now? So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get there, let's talk about hobby table stuff. Jason, what's on your hobby table, buddy? I have been painting some uh, proxies that I printed with my 3D resin printer uh, to use a stand-in in my Warcry uh, army. And l- actually, the other night we played a game mm-hmm. together, which was fun, which we'll probably talk about because the played uh, Rotmire Creed versus a uh, Flesh Eater Quartz army that I have that I'm kind of tweaking around with that has a uh, Dread Warden that uh, I have uh, allied in. And in place of the Dread Warden, I used a Nosferatu model uh, on a 25-millimeter base, which I thought was a fun a fun pull-in, and it's something that I printed and painted. So that's what's on my table. Yeah, it was uh, it kind of fit with the ghoulish theme of your yeah, army. Yeah, that's why I liked it. It, it was uh, Loot Studios, um, their uh, October, which was kind of their Halloween, scary, spooky um batch that they did uh they had a bunch of werewolves and vampires in it and and nosferatu was a named character they had in there so i chose to use that as my dread warden yeah that's very good very good dan how's your hobby table looking i have been assembling lumineth and uh i just finished painting a little nurgle warband uh but i haven't based them yet so i've been uh procrastinate basing is my least favorite part of the hobby i don't know if i've told you guys but uh, i've been (laughs) procrastinating basing by doing my second least favorite part of the hobby which is building Mm. um if if i could have just other people do all my building and basing for me and i only need to paint that would be just such a wonderful place to live so let me ask you do you um paint 
off of base and then do base and then glue them on or are you uh glued to the base and then put basing stuff on kind of guy I've, I've tried it a few different ways um i don't like any of them <laughs> uh so my problem with like okay so you can make the base and then glue them on but i prefer painting them with their bases mm -hmm. um and also it requires you there's a few different ways to do it right one is you can sculpt the base then glue them on and then paint it all later but that mm -hmm. requires you to know what your basing scheme is going to be before you've even put paint to model which just right. terrible for me and then you know the other way is to just glue them to the base and then base them all once it's already glued. Uh, that's not great because then sometimes I wish some of them had some elevation that they don't have, or some of them I wish right. didn't have cork under them that they do have, or, you know, all of that. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. The only thing I haven't done yet is I haven't explored a ton of, like, 3D printed bases. They're just so expensive. Like, it it's no fun for me to get a base that's as expensive as the model that's on it. So, um, buddy of mine, you've met him, JJ, uh, is going to be looking into printing, 3D printing base toppers. Okay. So hopefully it's like not as expensive because you're not printing the whole base. Um, so we'll see if that makes it more fun. But yeah, so for now I'm not loving them. It's interesting you say that. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's interesting you say that because... Um, I've been working on my orcs, the 40k orcs still. They've got a lot of detail, so it's kind of slowing me down a little bit. Um, but I've been working on them. I I found some 3D print, uh, print bases that I wanted to get for them. It was like some junkyard bases. Um, and with the printer, I mean, like, the cost of it was only $3 for the whole, like, for all of the, the STL files. And then I printed them out, and I think, like, so, I don't know, maybe, like, the whole thing came out to, like, $5? Yeah. For, I mean, all the once, for all the bases? Once you, you know? have your own printer, certainly, yeah. that makes it a lot cheaper. But then you have to look at, you know, I just spent $600 on this printer. Yes, that's true. <laughs> for 50 yeah. bases. Um, so, yeah, yeah you got to get your I'd, money's worth out of the printer. I did, I did that math a lot when I was uh, doing the FDM printers and, like, printing out terrain scenery. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, oh, this little terrain scenery is really, like, $30. Uh, <laughs> you know, because, like, <laughs> yep. you know, you're, you're, like, adding the cost of the machine and the filament and all that stuff. Um, but I, I, I was lucky, and I ended up getting a used resin printer for, like, $60. Oh, so, wow. That's great. Yeah. So that was that was good. I like to make um, I like to batch make bases and then I cast them so that I can reuse them over and over again. Because oh, once that's you a great idea once you cast them, um, uh, then uh, each base is like pennies of resin to to repour, mm -hmm. and all you really need is like three bases, uh, three base styles for an army, um, and then you can cast them. And all you gotta do is just kind of twist them a little bit every time you you put a, a, a model on it to give it a little bit of a different look and then you get a nice diversified uh, base. But, but to your point, um, you know, you're not paying, you're not paying two to $500 for a printer, but uh, I mean, a, a casting kit probably costs you anywhere, unless you bulk buy and you do this a lot, you know, a small casting kit's going to cost you probably about 30 bucks. So you're paying 30 bucks to kind of make the molds, but then those molds are good for years and years. Okay. Uh, 
So I like it. I've got a few molds that I kind of pull for. I've got some sci-fi ones and I've got some fantasy ones, and I just reuse them. And what's great about them is you can, I get my fantasy ones. I can repaint. I can pa- change the paint scheme on them, and on one hand they'll look like a desert landscape. On the other hand, they'll look like uh, a grassy knoll, just to, based on the way you paint them and, oh, and yeah. a little bit of flock afterwards. So right. it's it's pretty useful. But uh, lots of different ways to try to tackle that part of the hobby. Yeah, and uh, we have a, a mutual friend, Caleb Walters, who like is a pretty well-known Age of Sigmar player. Um, he's actually headed this weekend down to the Warhammer Open in New Mexico because um, he won some tournaments. So um, he ended up winning the Nova Open, overall Nova Open. But I bring him up because I think he's the one, Jason, that turned you on to doing some of these yep. um these poured uh resin basins and and mold and molds because like if you think about age of sigmar doing like hundreds of bases uh you can get these really detailed bases like you end up you know sculpting and crafting three different kinds of bases but if you pour them over and over again you can get those really detailed bases for again like you said pennies on the dollar right Mm -hmm. yeah he's the guy that uh, uh showed me how to do it yeah. Well, so. I'm not going to lie. This sounds really effective. It doesn't sound fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to. So you've, you've solved some other problems, but not my main one. <laughs> yeah, you have to enjoy the hobby of the craft, to, you know, that part of the hobby to, to do it. It's, but if you don't enjoy it, you know, this isn't going to help you enjoy it anymore. It just might make it easier once you get set up to just, just kind of bang that part out. Just yeah. go get some, you know, uh, astral granite basic material and throw a couple of rocks on there and dry brush the crap out of it. I, the other I thing know is you... how to do it. It's not that I can't base <laughs> models. I just hate it. Just hate it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Like there's, there's something to be said about finishing a paint job and then being like, I'm done. Oh, I got to do the basing. Yeah. That's exactly no. what happened to me. Well, it's funny too, because if you talk to board gamers, and they're like, yeah, paint my miniature. And then you're like, okay, I just need to base it. And they're like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? Why would you put stuff there? It's just it's base. You know, like 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 board gamers don't want you to put anything on their base. They just want a straight black thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, it's kind of funny because war gamers are all about giving it that theme. So, yeah, we're a special breed. Special <laughs> breed. All kinds. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, like I told you guys before, I'm working on my orcs, and um, I've been getting uh, pulled off into many different things. So, what became Orktober, or Ork, what was Orktober, has become Morkvember, and we might even be getting into Gorkdecember. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, good times, good times with uh, the orcs and Mork and Gork. So. Mm. Jerky you know. wary and yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've got um I've got like six, I think about six of the um, six of the twelve orcs done. So and a bunch of like stuff done on the other one. So I'm hoping to finish it soon. Hopefully, anyway. Cool. But it's good. Yeah. All right. So good times with the hobby stuff. Let's talk news. We got some good news coming up. Um. We'll start with the uh, the close, interesting thing that's coming up on Friday, 
and I confirmed this with our local gaming store. They are getting White Dwarf issue 482, or is it 492? 492, I think, in. And uh, this White Dwarf will have Warcry rules for the new Underworlds box, um, which is the... Uh, what, are, what are their factions? I can't remember. Gnarltooth? It's, uh, yeah, Soap-like Gravelords and a... Um... You know, a, a more bestial themed, but still slaves to darkness. Yes. Uh, like the Gnarl Spirit Pack, I think is what Gnarl they're called. Gnarl Spirit Pack, yep, exactly. So, um, the models look amazing in this. Uh, as, as I think, I mean, I hate, I hate to admit it, but the, um, the Underworld's models are hands down GW's best models in all of their collection, in my opinion. Like, better than the 40k Kill Team ones, better than the Warcry ones. Um, but, man, they've got some they've got some really good ah, stuff. Better than Blood Bowl? I mean, I don't know. Better than Blood Bowl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, so you've got some you've got some good stuff coming out with that. So I, I it'll be interesting. Do you think, Dan, that these rules are going to be compatible with matched play or just open and narrative? Yeah, so they um, I don't know if you saw, but they actually showed. So they they've given the white dwarf to a few of their YouTubers that they give early stuff to, oh, okay. and okay. that uh, that thing has released or some of them have released it and so we've actually seen kind of the the rules and they are going to be cleared for matched play um okay. at least these two bands are right and so i mean that's pretty cool that shows that you know i'd say people can rest pretty assured that at least all of the sort of recent underworld stuff is going to get back into warcry 2.0 um it's worded a little ambiguously so you could maybe say that your current underworld stuff is in 2.0 but that's uh i don't really think that's true but it's still you know it's still really cool um yeah and we've seen you know the stats for all of them which is really awesome to see um of course the soul blight gravelords ones are some of the best fighters in the entire game as befits oh any gosh. soul blight gravelords <laughs> fighter um uh, and uh the slaves to darkness ones are neat <laughs> Neat. Is that a Midwestern term for like not good? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that boy is just so neat. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't have their abilities in front of me. I think one of their abilities is really good, but I don't actually have it in front of me. Um, now, do they work as a separate warband or just like fighters within the faction? Uh, they work just as they used to, which is really okay. cool. So, fighters within the faction, you can um you know, ally the hero in to other factions just the way you could before. Yep. Um, yeah, so all of the all of the Underworld shenanigans that you kind of know and love and only got to play with for like four months, <laughs> all I of know. them are back. Um, yeah. It's, so that's it's really cool. interesting because they did that, and, and we know that that Toma Champions that came out that, that brought the Bladeborn Fighters in, we know that that was significantly delayed. Right, like it should have probably been out almost a year earlier, um, at least at least around December of 2021, like because that was generally the release schedule that they that they had for the Toma Champions, right? So, um, 
shortly after that book came out, like we all started noticing, uh, what, what do you mean? This is your last chance to get a lot of those underworlds models. Right. Right. Like they sent out that email being like, Hey, here's all your favorites. Like this is your last chance to get them. And everybody's kind of looking around like, but you just literally let, let us start playing with them in Warcry, And sure enough, they kind of took the toys away and then they came out with the new 2.0 and they really took the toys away. Um, so, I, I wonder, like, was this kind of a planned thing? Like, was it just the left hand not talking to the right hand? Or that was always planned that way? It's just the release sort of made it feel a little bit more poignant, you know? Yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, it might have just been, hey, they had an overwhelming amount of work in terms of this new edition to get out and not that many people on the Warcry team to do it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, who knows? But really good to see that they're adding them back in. Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, if at least, if and for anything, just the new models that are coming out, um, and uh, hopefully we get some, you know, a release maybe in the next uh, Toma Champions that just kind of lets us bring back some of those Bladeborn fighters, because I know the community would really like that. I, yeah. I see a question being asked all the time on Facebook about it. <laughs> you know, can I play yeah. with my Warband? You know, and, and I give them the standard, you know, tournament organizer response which is in narrative and match uh, narrative and open play absolutely play to your heart's content use the old values from the old tome like go like knock yourself out in a tournament uh you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna be able to play them you know so but yeah to each their own right on all right so the other bit of news and and this is something um i'm i'm gonna have a little bit of a gripe session here um it seems like every time we come out with a show, within a week, GW <laughs> has like an amazing news release for us, and uh, we have to wait like three weeks before we cover it here. So I think that happened. That happened with uh, both box releases of Warcry 2.0. Um, yep. It happened. It happened with the reactions preview that we got. Right, like it just it seems to happen with everything. So. Just wait. I think in probably a week we're going to know when to buy this new box that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, it, the timing fits perfectly, doesn't it? it? They released it three weeks ago. They haven't given – or they released all the pictures three yes. weeks ago. They haven't given us any other information other than that since. Right. Uh, it'd be pretty surprising – if they literally went an entire month, I mean, it just seems like terrible marketing in general, right? They're just letting all of the hype die away because uh, people were so excited about these models. So, so we're obviously talking about Warcry Sundered Fate box set that's coming out that has the uh, new Chameleon uh, Skink Warband and the uh, Jade Obelisk Warband. Um, and like you said, the, the hype around these models was very high, especially the Jade Obelisk. I haven't seen praise for a Warband's models like that in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you were saying Underworlds are the best models bar none in the game, I was thinking about Jade Obelisk and being like, are you sure about that? I mean, those yeah. in Corvus Cabal stand up, I think, next to anything that they've done for Underworlds. Um, yeah. Yeah, these, these, uh... Jade friends are pretty sweet. 
yeah, they've got some really cool masks and, and uh, you know, like a lot of really, uh, the paint job on them is really good too, right? Like the jade that's kind of like going with the burgundy cloaks that they have is, is really nice. Um, but I love the masks on them. It just gives them such a like menacing personality, especially the lady that's like holding the heart above her head. Like, yeah, absolutely. That, that gives you some real, um, real sweet, uh, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom vibes, you know? So, um, it's very good. Uh, now it comes with a couple pieces of terrain. And I think that you have to look at this box, like the kill team boxes, where like the big box that came out was Octarius, right? And then um, after that, you had like uh, Chalneth and um, and some of the other ones where the amount of terrain you got in those were not nearly as big. You didn't get a core rule book. You didn't get dice. You didn't get measurement tools. Like it, you just basically got the models. The basically what I would consider like a half a box worth of terrain and then um, the campaign book that goes with those two models or those two factions, basically. Yeah, that makes sense for what we'll get. And that would put it at a little bit cheaper price point than the mm -hmm. intro box was for Warcry, which uh, might appeal to some people. Yeah, the intro box was coming in at about, what, 225 retail is what I think it was? Yeah, that uh, sounds about right. Something like that. Yeah. It was low 200s. Um, I ended up picking up mine off of Amazon for 195. Um, but uh, I think this one will probably come in at about 150. In my That'd opinion. be great. I think people would be really excited if that was the price of this box. That would be yeah. really cool. Yeah, I just don't think that you're. I mean, you're getting probably a little bit of scatter terrain that comes with, uh, you know, three bigger pieces and maybe a couple bamboo ladders. Um, like I said, it's probably going to be half as much as what you got in the heart of Gur. And, uh, so I don't know. I think, I think about 150 maybe. Yeah. Cause heart of Gur came with only four pieces of big terrain, but an overwhelming amount of scatter terrain. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we had my whole box of heart of Gur on the table. And it felt like a good amount of terrain, don't you think, Jason? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it was perfect for one table. Whereas if you compare it to, like, the core box that came out, um, you know, the, the very first core box, like, that was a table and a half worth yeah. of terrain in that box. So, um, yeah, but uh, I think I think this one will feel more like a, a bit sparse for one table. It'll feel like maybe three quarters of a table worth of terrain, you know? It looks like it. It looks like I'll want to put maybe one of my Sylvaneth trees on there or something. Yeah, something else just to kind of give it a little little extra. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, like the models look amazing. Uh, what do you think of this of the uh, the Seraphon models? I like them a lot. I don't love them the way I love the, um, you know, my Jade friends. But mm -hmm. I think they're really cool, and I love that. Uh, the Underworld's skink, chameleon skink they did was just a chameleon that somehow yeah. was holding a blowpipe. And these are chameleon people, right? right? They're, they're more, they look like sentient beings. And also, if you look at their shields, so they always, 
Seraphon always had this turtle shell pattern on their shields, but none of their shields actually looked like they came off of turtles, right? Oh, they just looked like uh, just some patterning, some scale patterning or something, yeah. but just kind of a shield shield that maybe they'd stitched together. These look like actual turtle shells. They're patterned the way a turtle shell is patterned, and I think that is really cool. I want to know the lore behind that. Like, these are clearly reptiles cannibalizing reptiles for their shields. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they look at, like, any humans wearing fur, and they're like, why are these mammals killing other mammals? I mean, maybe, maybe. Uh, but I want to know, is this like a, a, a goofy Pluto situation where, like, one dog is sentient and the other dog is not, you know? Oh, funny. So. Yeah. I mean, that's always <laughs> been the question with Seraphon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and like, like you've got, you've got lizards riding dinosaurs and like, which one's the sentient one, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but I, I like the skink ones too. They've got like kind of a cool Aztec feel going on, which, you know, has quarters. I mean, that's sort of always been sort of their, um, mis like mystique with like the ziggurats you know and like the pyramid style type of thing but uh definitely when you've got like the who looks to be the leader with the skull helmet yep and things coming down and the and the spears like it definitely has like an aztec mayan type feel and, and uh, to get real uh mesoamerican archaeology nerd on you uh it's cool because um you know like you said, there's this maybe Aztec feel, and then jade masks are an Olmec thing, which is oh, a cool. uh, like a different Mesoamerican, you know, ancient civilization. So it's yeah, it's kind of got the whole, you know, all very uh, sort of Central American vibes going on in the box. Uh, and I oh, think that the cool. the uh, the Zinch woman, the sorceress with the heart, I think is mm -hmm. meant to. Um, meant to evoke Mayan sacrifice as well. Right. Um, these guys are really cool because it's sort of they're mixing these kind of Mesoamerican uh, tropes with um, like these hoods and hammers are very um, what are those like uh, warrior monk traditions from Europe uh, where you're like not allowed oh, yeah. to spill blood but you go around chopping people in your armor and your hood um you know that's a kind of a, a mix of these european and and uh mesoamerican traditions which i think makes them really cool where they look like they're a whole realized culture without uh without being kind of derivative of anything yeah i mean the the cut and style of their cloaks definitely feels like mesoamerican you know so i like what do you think it. about the birds the terror wings uh, the Seraphon birds? Yeah. I I like them, but I'm not sure what's going on. Like, are the scales around their head, is that like a little helmet that they're wearing? Or is that, that's just what their scales are doing? And they, maybe it's just the paint job. The contrast is a little bit much for me, maybe. Uh... I think that it's, I think it's supposed to denote that the, the skinks have uh, trained them and broken them. Oh, because that's they, at least the text says flocks of trained terror wings. Oh, um, so they've been like, like domesticized, kind of. Yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah. A hawk mask. Okay, that's how I looked at it. That makes sense. Okay, 
it works for me now. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> if you look at the if you look at the top one that's got kind of like standing on top of the thing, the the front part of his mask there looks like it's not attached to the beak. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that looks yeah. like mm-hmm. it's kind yeah. of like a meant to be a mask type thing. Yeah, okay. and they kind of have they kind of have uh, pet collars on them too. Yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah, I'm that curious on how they're gonna play. Like, are they gonna be? Uh, obviously, they're gonna fly, right? Uh, right. But uh, what's their movement gonna be like? Um, how will they? How will they augment? You think they're ten, or do we know? Or twelve? Easily. I think they'll be twelve. Yeah. And then how will that augment um, from a point value then? You know, because we know movement's a huge point scaler in this game. It'll be 225 points with uh, one attack, or, you know, one inch range, two attack, <laughs> right. two, one, one three damage, 212 yeah. points, you know. Right. Oh, savage. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But in 1.0, they would have been 45 points, and they would have broken the game. So Yeah, seriously. You know, maybe, maybe in third edition, they'll find a happy medium. What was the flight of the... Uh... Um, in first edition, the the uh, the chaos birds that were not part of a faction, but the uh, what are they called? Oh, the, the harpy or a furies? The furies. Yeah, the fur the furies. What was their? They had an eight inch move. Yeah, in I could see these guys having an eight inch move. This it seemed like the model's not big enough to have a ten or a twelve, in my opinion. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. But maybe. Maybe. Well, that would make them better because. <laughs> all these 10 inch and 12 inch move fighters uh really pay for it they do man those mm-hmm. extra inches really make them pay for it yeah so yeah. i mean you know i could go on and on about the linear pointing algorithm and i don't and how i don't think that each individual point of a given stat is the same value as the previous one but you pay the same for it yeah I just hate that but it's fine yeah, we were talking about that the other night, how it seems to be the the order of pointing priority is movement, toughness, uh, wounds characteristic, uh, after that, like, maybe damage or attacks or something like that. So, but it seems like uh, movement and toughness are, like, the main determinators of, like, how much points you're going to get. Interesting. Luckily, I mean... The toughness tax isn't nearly as bad as it used to be. There's that's, that's there's true. lots of uh, toughness five and six guys now who are pretty interesting. That's very true. It I think in one o toughness was the main stat of pointing, you know, and then and then they decided movement was king. Yeah. So anyway. Well, uh, like we said, we don't know when this box is supposed to come out. I'm surprised we haven't heard about it. But then again, if you look at Warhammer Community, it's been all about the Imperial Guard and Cadia and all that stuff, which is kind of their big push right now. So um, I see that campaign wrapping up. So I, I we joke about this, but when is Warhammer Fest coming out? It's like in a couple of days, isn't it? It is. Uh, they didn't have the Warcry logo on any of the preview stuff. Oh, okay. So we won't see any new Warcry models, but they might at least announce, you know, the models we've already seen and when they come out. Who knows? Yeah, I could see a pre-order coming out with some of the announcements that they do, and it has this box in it. Hey, let me yeah. ask you, before we get off uh, this real quick, the Jade Obelisk guys, do you mm-hmm. think that they're going to be, like, elite style, like Stormcast? I mean, 
And I ask that from a theme perspective. Like, these guys are loaded with stone. They're turning into stone. Mm. Like, they've got to have, like, a crazy low movement to hit like movement, floor on that. Like, movement three, uh, yeah, like but th- toughness five across the board. Yeah, almost. something like, I mean, they've got to have a high toughness because, I mean, they're just stone on the outside, and they're turning into stone. But they're, they've got to be, like, super slow. Like, I'm guessing these guys are going to be, like, like they're going to be toughness five, fours and fives, and they're going to be moves threes and fours, depending on them. That tracks to me. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like that too. It'd be uh, curious to see what their uh, hit profiles are. Gonna yeah. be I like. bet I bet that you're gonna see twos and fours across the board with some threes and fives. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, and I but think that's some cool because guys. it's so different from uh Zinch right now. You know, yeah. Zinch at the moment doesn't have anybody like that. I mean they might have a toughness five character somewhere, but in general they really don't. Um so yeah. that's that's cool. They don't have you know, maybe the Ogroid Thaumaturge counts as like an in-your-face melee bruiser, but um, they've got a lot of uh, like, you know, their Zangors, or we have tons of wounds, but we don't, you know, and we're pretty fast. We're like the little mobile tar pits of the Zangors, but, um, you know, most of their stuff is like kind of tricksy shooters and weird stuff, uh, especially in the demon side. So this yeah. could be a really different playstyle. Yeah, cool. Be interesting. Yeah, it looks like they've got quite a few ranged models, though. I'm counting one, two, three different ranged models. And what they previewed for us. That'll be important if they're really slow, you know? Yeah. Another interesting... Go ahead, sorry. Sorry, I was counting two. I counted one twice. Another interesting piece of terrain here is uh, you'll notice one of... It looks like maybe their their second largest or maybe their largest piece of terrain that comes in this box. The terrain is built such that it has a blocking vertical wall on a lifted platform. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Which we don't really have in the core GUR set right now. There's no really vertical block in any of the terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've watched a couple, you know, a couple of YouTube videos about, you know, how to set up a good terrain for a good battle. And when you have pieces like that, you need to set them up appropriately so they don't just become like, they don't become wall guards that stop action because people hide behind them, especially with shooting and range. So be curious yeah. to see, you know, how we, how people set that up in such a way that it in instill, you know, it doesn't become, it doesn't become a, a place to cower behind, but at the same time it. Uh, it still provides some benefit to it. I hope it's only a place to cower behind. I'm going to model mine. I'm going to take the other one and remove all of the bamboo slats and just put them around in a little house. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just like that vertebrae house, you know, I'm going to put all, I'm going to put my entire war band in the little vertebrae house. So no one can shoot me. I mean, okay. So that vertebrae house, like, could you actually put a model in there? Uh, not many of them, right? But some, I mean, they've got some pictures. They've got do, some pictures. Do you think uh, the rules would allow you to put a model inside there? There might be a rule for that piece. Oh, wow. This vertebrae house is huge. Uh, when it's shown, they have some pictures of showing it next to models. And if you didn't have the base, you could absolutely fit a model in there. Yeah. Um, you could fit any dwarf in there. You could fit any dwarf in there. Agreed. 100% agree. You could fit any dwarf in there. 
Uh, I wonder if I wonder and a if lot of goblins be, too. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be a special rule for that piece, for that train piece. Yeah, inside there. I don't know. Target it's Grot kind of becomes funny. indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there's some like deadly thing inside there, and every every round you stay in there, you it's like de- consider you have to do like a deadly terrain roll or something. Oh yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting. Very interesting. All right, cool. Well, I'm excited, Dan. Are you gonna? Are, are you thinking to get in this box? I'm a hundred percent getting this one. Um, did, you, I knew you didn't get I, the Heart of Gur one, did you? Right, I did. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've been trying to tell people like skip the ones you don't love so that you can grab the ones you do. Um, yeah. Because there's no one's gonna be able like well not no one some people can do this but most people you're not gonna want to get all four right because it's gonna be really expensive it's gonna take ages to paint them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've gotten to where, like, I struggle to paint more than, like, three warbands a year. So, yeah, you know, you don't want to get a ton of these. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to get this one. And then the next one is called the Blood Hunt, which I could see maybe it could have some corn models I would like. But it's probably just going to be vampires, and I'm not that into vampires. So uh, I think this one's probably the one for me. Man, with all the stuff that they have released for vampires, like release more vampires, guys. Like, I, I right now I'm just envisioning, like, dudes at Games Workshop watch sitting around watching Twilight all day. You know, <laughs> like they've just got such a love affair with vampires uh, right now. <laughs> vampires and skeletons. Oh yeah, because they did all this cursed city stuff. Yeah. I wonder if what we're actually gonna get. No, this is too conspiracy-ish. But if if it was just like a bunch of cursed city stuff that they never got to put in cursed city, so now they're putting it in a oh Warcry gosh. box, that'd be that so funny. That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that whole cursed city thing—I don't think we talked about it on here, but um, what a nightmare that cursed city rollout was from the get-go. Yeah, an all-timer. And they. They tried to pass off these last two quote-unquote expansions. It was like a couple of cards and like a couple of extra missions for like $50 each. And and the first expansion, like nobody could buy. It was sold out. Like it wasn't even available to buy. Like, like the few people who wanted to do it couldn't even buy it. It was crazy. So that would be hilarious if they had some models that they were planning to release for Curse City, and they're like, uh, Warcry can get them now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why the Legionnaires are their own box. It's like they would have been in a different box, but now they've got an extra warband on their oh, hands because it's Curse City stuff. <laughs> that's too funny. That's yeah. too funny. None of this is probably true, people. I'm not like reporting this, anything, you know, just in case anybody listens to the podcast and gets the wrong impression. I don't think this is actually true, but, <laughs> you know, I think we've got like a 10% chance this is true and it'd be really funny. Well, in like three months, we're going to know if you were right or wrong, right? So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody hold Nostradamus's feet to the fire here <laughs> and, uh, you know, keep him, keep him honest. <laughs> So, All right, anyway. so uh, we've talked about this box. Let's talk about the last box. Let's talk about uh, the last time we got to the Horns of Hushut, and that was pretty yeah. sweet. Let's get into the Rottmeyer Creed. Absolutely. So before we really dive into the analysis of Rottmeyer Creed, Jason and I had a great game that we played on Monday night. Um, like he said, we played against uh, – he was running Flesh Eater Courts, 
and I was running basically the base set of Rottmeyer Creed straight out of the box because I wanted to see how they performed. And um, Jason, let's talk about the game a little bit, and then we can get into like what we thought about Rottmeyer Creed. So um, why don't you set us up with the game? We had um, we had a fun uh, battle and and twist. The uh, the mission was one where one treasure starts in the middle of the field. Do you remember what the name of it was? Not off the top of my I head. I don't either. But anyways, one mission, one treasure starts in the middle of the of the field, and then every round the player without initiative rolls a dice, and if you are equal to or less than the round number, you place another treasure on the field. And if you get a six, I think you put like three treasures D3, out on the D3. field. D three. Yeah. D three treasures. And it was just less than. It wasn't equal to. It was just yeah. Okay. Less than. than yeah. Yeah. And so and and then the way you win is at the end of the fourth battle round, the player who has the most fighters holding a treasure at the end of that battle round uh wins yeah so yeah, it doesn't um it, it doesn't really matter what you're doing w- round one two three or four it's at the end how many do you have in your possession uh, yeah. so that was kind of cool and what was fun was the twist we had which i don't think i'd seen this twist come up before of course i haven't played too many 2.0 uh yeah and this games. was out of the war this was out of the um heart of gerd box too yeah it was uh at the at the we kind of got the order wrong a little bit, but it didn't really. I don't think it really mattered. Um, at the beginning of a round, uh, you pick you pick a enemy fighter, so a fighter from your your opponent's warband that is greater than three inches away from any other model. So basically, if somebody's kind of standing out by himself, uh, you roll a dice, and if he's greater than six inches away from anyone, you add one to that. If you roll a six, the fighter is taken down immediately. immediately. I think it was called like creature in the dark. Creature in the dark. Yeah, which I thought oh, yeah. was a really fun twist. Uh, it kind of made you, you either had to be next to an enemy model at the beginning of the round or uh, next to a player model. So you weren't just kind of out on an island by yourself flying around. It was kind of cool. And actually, we had a, we had one taken yeah. down that way. <laughs> yeah, one of my guys, of course, oh, would no. roll a dice, and it was a six, and he's like, goner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boom. Yeah, it was the end of the round, and he, he slew one of my models – which left him alone out yep. in the wilderness, and then on the top of the round, rolled rolled a six. Yeah, too funny. So yeah, it's, normally it's kind of I would hate that, twist. but it sounds like for that specific treasure mission, it's probably pretty interesting then, because running away with the treasure becomes a bit of a liability. It does. Yeah. We actually talk. It's funny you talk about that, Dan, because we said during the game we said this is actually a pretty decent twist for any treasure mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because like any treasure mission, if you're if you take the treasure and you run off by yourself or you do the Sylvanith thing where you blink and you're like on the other side of the board, um, you got to roll to see if you die. Yeah. yeah. And if you're too far away, it'll be uh, two out of six. Yeah. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So so I I I was thinking actually for this, this might be a little too uh, sadistic, but. I, for a tournament twist for a treasure mission, it's not. I, I actually think it's kind of cool because it changes strategy. It does a little bit. I would I would absolutely be okay with having this show up in a tournament because uh, you can avoid it by just being the way that you play your team and you know and you keep your enemies near you or you keep your friend uh, friends group together. Right. You keep your friends of... close and sometimes your enemies closer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's profound. I know, right? You should write that down, post it all over the web. 
Yeah, but no. So um, so that's what it was, and we kind of had we had the the Gur terrain set up, which was cool with the rope bridges and stuff. Yep. I will say that this time Justin, through his own hand, also did lots of spiky big uh, terrain bashing and times. moving a couple, a times. couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Although there was a lot less than when you and Dan were working it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that stuff's really spiky. It's easy to catch it when you're moving yeah. your hands around, and because of yeah. those little those bridges, like y- you catch it in one, it'll t- it'll tear like three terrain pieces over. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I so I had um, I had a flesh eater quartz army, which was uh, I had. Uh, I had a Ghoul King and Horton Ghoul King. I had a uh, Crypt Infernal Courtier, which is like the super duper version of the Crypt Flayer, the flying one with the wings. I had a normal Crypt Horror, four Ghouls, and a Dread Warden that I had allied in. And the Dread Warden's sole, sole purpose was to do just what he does with his uh, with his triple, which is to summon people back, um, uh, back and forth. So kept, which actually oh, yeah. I think it was a was a, a game winning choice. It was the game winner. Yeah, yeah in this winner. situation. But then, then what was your list? Uh, so I had, I mean, I was I was running um, basically out of the box. So I had a Wither Lord, a uh, bloated one with Raker Claws. Uh, or no, sorry, bloated one with Raker Claw and Hook Net. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the, the net, too. Um, I had a Carrion Catcher with Snatcher Hook, a Carrion Catcher with Impaler, and I had three Meyerfolk outcasts with Biowood weapons and four Meyerfolk outcasts with Biowood weapon and shield. Yeah, you had so, a significant amount of units on the yeah. field, for yeah, sure. Had, had yeah, I had quite a few. And, um, yeah, I, uh, look, uh, it came down to the end. I was carrying two treasure. He was carrying two treasure. Uh, my Wither Lord had taken a bit of a beating. And uh, the end of the game, Jason... Flew his double moved his dread warden within range to summon back the crypt flayer into combat right next to my um, my wither lord and because the crypt flayer had not gone that turn he still had his two activations so he double attacked and well he killed, single yeah single, single attack and then moved yeah and then moved to pick up the treasure so and that yeah. was enough to secure the um the victory because he yeah. was then carrying three treasure and i was carrying one it so, was fun it was fun yeah. yeah it was a good move and and uh what was what was great is that that tactic that he used with had you know the slingshot summon i think we've talked about it on the show before dan um yeah. but the slingshot summon he like i had talked to him about it when we were playing horns of hashut and so he came back with this game and did that exact thing to win, yeah. and win the game yeah you you enabled me to win I know, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. I just want my friends to have a good time. That's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so but this isn't a show about FEC. Let's talk about let's talk about the Rottmeyer Creed. So yep. um overall, like uh what do you guys think are some of the strengths of this faction? Based on paper or experience or, or whatever. Well, I could share some experience. Um so strengths. Let's talk yep. strengths then. I yep. think that the Wither Lord's triple ability is extremely threatening. Yeah. I mean, it is like it was like one of the one things I had on my brain the whole every round we were playing is, who is that Wither Lord near? Who can he get near in threat range with that triple? Do you have a triple? And how do I handle that? Because I mean, it's just I mean maybe explain the triple for us, but I mean it's yeah. just so deadly. 
So the triple is the lethal injection. You pick a visible enemy fighter within one inch of this fighter and roll a number of dice equal to the value of this ability. For each roll that exceeds the toughness characteristic of that fighter, allocate five damage points to them. So um, I think I think this was really good against like your army, for example, because you had two, or you had kind of like three if you count the ghoul, the abhorrent ghoul. Sure. Team, right. Yeah. You had three beefy pieces on the on the field that all had toughness four, mm-hmm. right? So I had a triple with him at one point that had a six. So you're talking, I get to roll six dice, uh, you know, exceeding it's five and sixes for you. Uh, yep. It's five damage. So I had, you know, the the mathematical potential to basically do ten damage um, with an ability, which is pretty significant. Absolutely. It, it is. And I think even if you, you know, there are some models out there that have a toughness three that, you could still first, if you're doing a strategic move, um, actually, I guess, you you know, a strategic move, you could use it on, on a three guy if you needed to do something like take a treasure or knock out. It, just, it could be situational, but on a three, it's like it's almost a guaranteed wipe of that model. Mm-hmm. You know, because most, th- most models that have toughness three are going to be under, you know, 12 or under on their wounds probably. Um, and you're yeah. you're going to be hitting, you know, depending on what the number was. 50% of the time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, 50% on four dice, that's 10. Boom, right there. And right. that's your ability. So you still, you don't even have to use that ability, right? Move in, do your attack, get base to base, do your attack. If you need to finish them off, you really need to finish them off. It's almost a guarantee wipe of that model. And it's also so scary. Uh, like, a lot of these fighters... 20 wound fighters if you surround them with a few chaff models um they're in a lot of trouble but if you surround a wither lord with a bunch of chaff models it just goes boom lethal injection and then boom starts hitting them and it does a lot of damage to low toughness fighters um because there's a lot of strength four among the heavy hitters in this warband right yep the wither lord is strength four the uh bloated one is strength four so they are absolutely blowing up toughness three fighters i would say that's uh like for me i would say that's one of the big strengths of the warband is that they just wipe the floor with anything that's toughness three uh yeah i i agree with you on that yeah the only toughness three fighters are your chaff models that are the meyer folk right or or, sorry strength three uh models are the um are the meyer folk outcasts so everybody else all of your other um you know there's only one hero, which is the Wither Lord, but all of your other more elite fighters, um, they are all strength four and strength four almost... with respectable numbers of attacks, and yes, they're not just crit fit. It's not like one four profiles or one five profiles. Mm-hmm. It's like two damage on every regular hit. So yeah, yeah, they just destroy toughness three fighters so effectively. Yeah, there's there's the leader, and then there's four kind of elite fighters right there's the bloated one uh with breaker claws the bloated one with breaker claw hook net and then the two carrion catchers the carrion catcher with Mm -hmm. the snatcher hook he's the only one that doesn't have crit five he's he's base damage two crit four everybody else is base damage two crit five and the wither lord is three and five i mean that's significant damage right there 
Yeah. So I've got to ask you, because me looking at the stats and looking at the abilities, it seems like the carry and catchers are terrible. Is that <laughs> is that how it played? It seems like every fighter in this warband is pretty good, except for the carry and catchers. They seem awful. It's funny. It's funny that you say that because we were talking about like, okay, well, you know, I played with the I played with the uh, the band right out of the box. Now, how do I optimize this band? Uh-huh. And um, what we came to the conclusion of is like um, the the warband that I was playing with was nine hundred sixty points. So I had like I have forty points to play with a little bit. Um, okay. The Wither Lord is one seventy five, and so um, the thought was. Um, maybe drop a carrion catcher and another like Meyerfolk guy, and you can add another Witherlord. Um, you know, uh, or drop two of the Meyerfolk guys, and you know, with the extra forty points, add another Witherlord as well. The carrion catchers, believe it or not, like um, they 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 both only have three attacks, right? Yeah. Three attacks, strength four, two five damage, or two four, if, um, d- depending on which one you go with. Um, they did really good against chaff. Uh, I had one one of the carrying catchers took out two uh, ghouls in one round. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, they got like a couple. Of, and now they had they each had like one or two points already on them. So, but he attacked one, killed one, attacked another, killed another. So, I don't know. They didn't do terrible, Jason. I think, think? They, I think they were fine. I think when we get to the, merf, the merfolk, we've got some thoughts there. But I think the Karen yeah. catchers are fine. Like we talked about before, the two-inch range is really critical because it gives you the freedom of movement on your next uh, turn. Mm, you know, okay. not being locked in combat, meaning you don't have to do an engage, a disengage. Uh, but you can still uh, attack, right? And th- so that's an important thing with a lot of one-inch, one-inch uh, flingers. Is you've got uh, you have to commit yourself to potentially having to use a disengage if you're going to have to use that model for other than swinging on the next round. Uh, I will say with both of those two, both of them came off of the board edge where they where they had come on in their battle group, right? And were able to move four inches and still reach out and touch one of the ghouls. Yeah, I mean, it's significant, right? You know, I mean, because they six had inch threat. reach. Yeah, yeah. six-inch threat range um, is good. It, so if you look at someone like that and you think, gosh, these guys only move four, it's like, actually, they kind of have a six-inch threat range, which isn't that bad. Yeah. So, I, Especially I, if they're doing yeah. two-five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, what did you think of the Raker Claw guy, Jason? The raker, which one's the raker claw? He was a he the was a dude with the claws. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. The guy who got taken down by the uh, creature in the dark. The creature in the dark took him the down. The creature in the dark took yeah. him down. Yeah. Um, he was just he did some significant damage too. I mean, he was the um, you had the one with the net, right? So yes. he was doing four attacks versus five attacks. Mm-hmm. But uh, four attack strength four two five. I mean that I think you were doing some pretty massive damage. He's the guy that took out the uh, the Crypt uh, Infernal, uh, whatever, the super-duper flare. Uh, yeah, fl- yeah, flare guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't in one round, but it, and it's one of those, I kind of knew he was going to take him, but I wasn't quite 
anticipating the amount of damage output that he was going to provide. So it was a significant amount of damage. Now, that guy is a one-inch attack, so you are kind of committing yourself into combat with him. Um, and I think you you struggled to find an opportunity to actually use the net. Uh, yeah. At least in our game, you did. I was going to ask you about that, because almost every net is either value of the dice or three inches, but this net is only one inch range. Um, exactly. And it seems a lot tougher to use. So you said you struggled was... to find spots for it? Well, it was freaking impossible to use, because like if you think about it, right, like... I didn't want to get him into combat where I was going to have to take a double attack coming back from that flare. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, so I kept him out until the flare could go, and then I would move him in. Why would I use my net then? Because the net, only, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right, like he's right. already gone; he's already done his thing. Um, the only, I guess, I guess I may have used the net. Um at the beginning of the next round after I had already gone in right at the beginning of the next round, if I knew I was going to die and I could throw the net on him and then he couldn't like, after he killed me, he couldn't move. Yeah. I think the net, that's the only situation I can see this working. I think the net is only useful if you do it at the beginning of your activation or, or sorry, if you activate before them and you're planning on disengaging. Yeah. Right. But why would you disengage with this guy when he can do so much damage? Well, That's a great question. <laughs> it's str- strategic, right? Like maybe maybe you throw a net on the one you're engaged, you disengage, and then you go move. It, uh, that's true. Uh, you'd just, have to. You would just, just move to engage. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's I just so it's hard. It's hard, <laughs> but not yeah. many of them. Yeah. It's hard to contrive something just off the top of your head as to how you would do it. I don't know. I my recommendation would be to drop the drop the net one and yeah, go to the one that gives an additional attack. And and uh, yeah. so here's the thing though, is that on a double you can use the net. But he also has on a triple so I in terms of in terms of abilities, the best ability on here is that lethal injection that the Wither Lord can do. The second best ability is what this guy can do on a triple. Oh, which yeah, is yeah. Roll a dice for each visible enemy fighter within three inches of this fighter on a three to four, allocate one damage. On a five to six, allocate a number of damage points equal to the uh, value of this ability. Now, normally I don't like, I, normally I don't like those abilities, like where you have to roll a dice and it's yeah. only like on a five or six that it actually does damage. But the fact that you're rolling for everything around you within three inches makes it a, a lot better. Yep. So, you know, much more return bang for your buck on that ability. And now I, that's you, that's yeah. not just the you could do that with the non hook neck one, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the the non net one. Yep. Exactly. So. Yeah. Why would you ever? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, now technically that's a triple, and the net is yep. a double. But um, if if I'm gonna be honest here, like if I have a double and the dude has a net, I'm probably gonna give the double to a blowpipe guy somewhere else. Interesting. So, and we can talk about the blowpipe. Uh, or to thing give in him onslaught so that he gets to be like his buddy with the raker claws. Honestly, like give him onslaught <laughs> and let him have an extra attack. Like that's yeah. way better. That's way mm-hmm. better than the net. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, what's so funny is like nets are actually pretty good abilities. Like you know, like especially the gloom spike gets net one is like really good. You know, yeah. but this one just because you have to get within like one inch and, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could think of some situations where 
you know you're you're doing the thing where you move into you move into um engagement range of multiple models one of them you throw a net on and you try to kill the other one so there's some situations i just don't know if it's worth it's worth losing so, that extra dice hit now and and to be fair like the net ability is not just throwing a net like you roll a dice and here's here's another thing i mean you roll a dice with the gloom spike gets one right and on a three up like they they can't get out um with this one you roll a dice on a three up they can't get out right they've got the net on them but you also do a number of points of damage equal to that roll so if it succeeds you're doing a three four five six points of damage on that as well so there is an opportunity to not only not just net them but also damage them as well uh, you know what that actually i changed my mind i didn't realize that that's not that makes that a way lot better yeah, but not as a net. Grammar's fun, but which is interesting. Right. It's just as but a burn spell. It's like you attacked them, left them on one, and you're like, okay, I'll use this double. Maybe it's instead of using onslaught, where you put in an extra dice and you don't know if you're gonna need it or not. Now you just wait. If you manage to kill them, great. Uh, you save dice, and if you don't manage to kill them, you throw the net on them and kill them that way. Um, but you're not using it to actually net anything. You're yeah. just using it to finish well, things and off. And that's where I think you look at the because it's hooked net, right? Maybe yeah. look at the yeah. net, the actual netting part, as just something that may help. It may help, but it's not the main purpose. The main purpose is to do three, four, or five damage to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a yeah. double, that's actually pretty good. Now that I think about that, yeah. Move in with a double. It's, I mean, you get a fifth. It's still okay. Yeah. You get it's a. Still- what is it? Sixty-six percent chance. Sixty percent chance to do three, four, or five damage. I mean, that's a that's a move yeah. in. Try to hit or hit as hard as you can, and then try to finish it off. Yeah, I'm probably still going with the Raker Claws one to try to preserve my dice and get more damage. But uh, at least here, now that you've explained it this way, I think it's a legitimate debate. Yeah, I have to think about that a little more. Yeah, I, I so I would not build this strategy around this net. Is, is basically what I'm saying. I right? hate the like, net. I hate the net. I, I mean, you know, drop, like, just drop the net, and move on. I see. I see this as like a quad where you like you. It's nice. It's nice if it goes off and it goes your way, but you shouldn't build the strategy around it because I feel like the net part of it is so situational that you're not going to find yourself in those situations very often. So. That, yeah, that's kind of what I had to say about. Yeah, that. roll the extra, roll the extra die. Yep, yep. And use um, the double to add onslaught, so you're rolling two extra die. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so I think I think we did a pretty good. One strength that I would like to point out um, is that, with the exception of the bloated ones, with the raker claws, everything else. Um, oh, sorry, and the mire folk with the biowood weapons, which is like the two little um, hooked axes that they have. Uh, the double weapon ones, uh, Chafe. Everybody else has range two weapons. So that um, drastically increases the threat range of the entire faction, right? Being able to have that two-inch reach and uh, and a four-inch move, which four inches is about average, right? Like you see... A lot of slower ones with three. You see a couple faster ones with like five or maybe even six sometimes, but yeah. um, but four inches is nothing to sneeze at. I think it's I think it's pretty decent. But then you add on that two inch reach, almost faction wide, and you're starting to cook with gas a little bit. 
So um, I, I think that's definitely one of their strengths. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think we've talked about most of their strengths. Jason, what do you think some of their weaknesses are? Uh, well, we can talk about the one that came up a lot, right? I think they're. Mm-hmm. I think that their their chaff, even with the two inch reach configuration of the chaff, uh, which is that that's a seventy five point one, right? Yeah. I th- I don't think they still they're what one and one and four, three attacks three strength. It's too, it's too wet noodly for me. Um, because when I like I'll take an example when I use my ghouls right, which are fifty five I think they're fifty five pointers. Um, I don't use them to hit anything. Like you talk about situational is whenever whenever I make a ghoul actually swing. I use ghouls to move and lock peop- lock other units up so that you either have to, so that my opponent loses a move action in order to use a disengage or has to attack me just to get the little guy out of his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're gonna run your if you're gonna run your chaff that way to just try to consume activations from your opponent, then the two inch doesn't help because you got to get in you got to get within one inch to make that be effective. Yep. So it's like that two inch is useless to me if I'm going to run my chaff in that strategy. Mm, that's uh, a good point. And that was kind of my main thing. I was kind of looking at it from a point value cost with that two inch. Um, it's kind of at that point, it kind of looks like a little bit of an expensive chaff to me. And I might drop the two inch one and just go with the one inch to save the ten points. Yeah. What What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, and I like. The four three one three, I like that better than three three one four two. Um, you know, because what you said, you're going in to lock things into combat. I do like attacking things with my chaff, but only you know, in clouds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so just being cheaper is always going to be better in that situation, right? Because you're just putting more more people out there, right? This uh, the sixty five point one does more damage and is cheaper so i would definitely be more into that one um yeah yeah i so here's my here's my plug for the two inch range 75 point meyer folk outcast right this is my this is my plug for it i i take both of what you guys say and i and i totally agree but i'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit that toughness four with the 10 10 wounds is it can be significant so if you wanted to run them in like yeah like you're not using the value of the two inch reach on their on their spear weapon but you could still put them in and still attack you yes you have one less attack but if your goal is to be a speed bump um i think that they're a better speed bump than the two-handed weapon guy just for the fact that they have that extra point of toughness um, maybe I think that, uh, you got to keep in mind. There's only typically there's only four rounds and mm-hmm. this, the, the damage profile on this guy is not going to, there's a good chance that even if it goes toe to toe with another chaff, it's not going to take that chaff down and he's going to be locked up for more than one round. Yeah. I mean, he's missing one attack, right? Comparatively his, his yeah. crit damage is a little bit higher. So he's he's missing one more attack than the other guy. 
Um, and I don't know that that is totally enough to discount him as just being a speed bump, you know? Like, if he's going toe-to-toe with a chaff, then that strength four or that toughness four means more than the extra attack. Because oh, that means I don't that know that I agree. You don't Interesting. think so? No, because the extra attack, I mean, it just does more damage and costs less points, right? So I think... I mean, I guess it depends on the chaff model you're fighting. But so let's let's say he's man, going against being a so ghoul much cheaper. Has, let's say he's going against a ghoul that has strength three attacks, but he's toughness four. Like all of a sudden, that ghoul's only hitting on fives and sixes. Yeah, but you're yeah. also. I mean, points matter so much, right? I mean, seventy-five points is just. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to pay seventy-five points for something that's not, you know, really killing stuff. I mean, you can get a demon net for that price, right? Uh, yeah. Get an extra attack, keep the four damage crit, get an extra point of move. I mean, you can. I know you lose the lose the toughness there, but you get a lot for that with other fighters. Um, I'm not. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to belabor it because it's not like they're total garbage fighters, right? There's way worse fighters in the game, but. Um... Yeah, but I think that they're by far the. I mean, obviously they're chaff, right? But point. Point for point, I think that they're actually the weakest fighter in here. In this, in this, uh, in this list, um, you, we kind of talked about on paper the carrion catchers maybe not being that great. Um, it does suck that they only have three attacks. Um, that's not great, but they are actually pretty decent against chaff models. So I would send like the wither lord and the bloated bloated ones. After the beefier models, at the carrying catchers after, um, you know, after the uh, the chaff models, and you know the rest of your Meyer folk like sending them out in packs against maybe some of the other elite fighters that only have like, you know, ten to twenty uh, points. Of, yeah, I think uh, you use ten to twenty wounds. You use your Meyer folk to control your opponents' um, elites and heroes. Yeah. And and potentially is, you know, as uh strategies say to control the field for maybe where monsters can land as well. Yeah. I um I will say that another pointness of weakness, uh, pointness, another point of weakness of um this faction is that the only model that has more than or that only has 20 wounds is the Wither Lord. Um the Rakers have 18. The carrying catchers have twelve, and the Meyer folk have ten. They're not very durable um, because of that. So, like, especially when you're going toe to toe with, uh, like, again, a crypt, a crypt flare that has like what twenty eight wounds, Jason, something like that. Um, yeah, twenty eight. Yep, and then the cryptor itself. Oh wait, no, the yeah, twenty eight, and then twenty eight. Yep. Yeah. It's it's tough. You're gonna you're you're not gonna take something out in one round unless you focus more than one guy on it, which means you're you're sacrificing some other move uh, field control yeah. in the game for that round. Yeah, but like these guys can go down. They could go if they take a bad hit. They could go down pretty easily, like like rat ogres and um, ogre breachers and things like that. Like they're they are super scary to this faction. You know what I would almost consider is bringing in a Chaos Spawn Thrall. Because uh-huh. those have 30 wounds. Uh, you could paint it all Nurgly. Uh, 
you know, you wouldn't have you you only get nine forty points in the box, so you wouldn't have to cut that much to put it in. Right. Um, yeah, that could be a nice option for kind I of mean, a, I would, a tough I would, to kill little. How much friend. is a carrion thrall? Uh, Chaos spawn thrall is one seventy. So yeah, I mean, you could you could easily uh, you could drop maybe one of the mire folk and a carrion catcher. And get a yeah, and I think that's worth it though. You know, if you wanted to go that way, or two carrying catchers, or sorry, sorry, two mire folk guys, uh, and you'd have enough to like put a instead of two little chafe units, you've got a chaos bond thrall now. You know. Yeah, I guess I mean if we're if we're going towards like how we'd list build with it. Me personally, I know you like the carrying catchers. I would cut all the carrying catchers. And all of the uh, shielded Meyer folk, uh -huh. and I'd put in um, like a bunch of things. I don't know which ally, but like I think you at that point you have room for two allies. Uh, I'd want to have two box so I could get more of these sweet bloated ones. I think the yeah. bloated ones are the with the raker claws are just so good. But yeah, they're pretty legit. Um, you know, I'd want to get another bloated one in there, but after that, yeah, I'd be looking for just sort of the wildest allies I could think of. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the, I would go with another Witherlord, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, Witherlord seems really good. I, look, for 175, being able to have four attacks, strength four, three, five damage, that's actually a pretty good profile. Yeah. Um, for, you know, for 175. And, uh, you know, you, they would be sharing that triple of the lethal injection, you know, so like they both couldn't do it obviously in one turn unless you had some amazing rolls and you got two triples. But um, I kind of found myself like because you have to do it one inch away, like the opportunity wasn't there every round for me to do a lethal injection. So if I had two, I could do it more often. Yeah. You know, without sacrificing too much, I think. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Yeah, so I would have uh, two Wither Lords, at least one bloated one, um, a couple of the Mire Folk with with the double weapons, and then I think, like you said, let's you know let's look at getting like a, a Chaos Spawn in there, um, you know, even if you have an uh, Ogroid uh, Miramadon, maybe as like a, a just like a, a a big baddie out there to kind of have other units focus fire on him. Because these guys have pretty good movement, and if you can have an ally that maybe is like a distractor, quote unquote, you know, yeah, like in an ogreoid, these guys could run around and easily snatch up treasure and hold it and defend themselves against smaller units while the other you know players trying to take down that ogreoid because he's such a big threat on the field, you yeah. know, or something like that. So, yeah. Um, overall, I think I like this faction. Um, I think that I think that they play like in terms of power level. I think that they are pretty on par with the Horns of Heshut, actually. So I'm kind of looking forward to uh, Jason and I are planning to play the branched quests um, that's in the core rulebook with the or oh that's cool in the, uh, uh huh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's in the Rotten Ruin book. So I think it'd be cool to see how like they um, match up against each other, just even just like out of the box, faction for faction. 
you yeah, know, absolutely uh, doing that. So I think that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Great. Um, so yeah, if, if you guys are interested in the Rottmeyer Creed, good luck finding it because all the Nurgle players out there pretty much, uh, <laughs> pretty much picked them up. Are they really um, good in AOS? They are. They have a really, they, so I, in AOS, the Nurgle does, um, disease stuff. Uh-huh. Well, if they use their blow pipes, they'll do disease to that unit and at the oh. end of the, at the end around it does mortal wounds to them right they'll do disease to a unit and any other unit that's within three inches of that unit oh interesting so okay. it's like can can get units that are even behind or like if you're screening a, a unit in front like they can end up giving diseases to units behind the screen nice and can you make a battle line yes they are i think oh that seems pretty good okay yeah yeah okay. so they're they're pretty legit um and so like everybody was asking me like hey do you want to sell your thing and i'm like not really <laughs> <laughs> so uh but you might be able to find them out there a little bit more now uh but i i think that they're i think they're fun and they're obviously great models so yeah um, check them out check them out well let's talk about our main segment here uh fighting monsters like we said before we last last episode we went through all the monsters in the game and kind of did our evaluation of them. We realized that some of them were like S tier level chimeras, some of them were F tier models that like really like the Arachnarok uh, <laughs> spider, right? That just like wasn't really gonna go anywhere or do anything. Um, but there's a whole bunch in between. And uh, we had some feedback of like, okay, great, you went through all the all the monsters. Now how do we fight them? So. Uh, Dan, I know that you just put out a video about this. What yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I did. So uh, why don't you why don't you kick off this discussion a little bit? Like, um, what what's your take on how what's the best way to counteract monsters? Um, so I would say the first thing is to to run the types of fighters that go well into them. If you have there's certain types of warbands that if you're playing you know, a, hundred, a bunch of, like, 100-point guys who still get killed in one hit by a monster, right? They have, like, 10, 12 wounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> keep harping on these carrion catchers. Like carrion catchers. <laughs> right, like right, that. right. If you're, if you're playing a bunch of things like that, um, you're just going to get blown off the table, even by most of the weaker monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, I think, want to focus on... Um, either really cheap fighters uh like skeletons are terrible for monsters because they cover the whole board and the monster can only kill one at a time and you know isn't going to be able to kill three in a round because you're not going to be within two inches and it's like am i wasting dragon maul on a tiny little skeleton no way uh or um you're going to flood the board with or not flood the board but just like have a few pieces that can credibly fight the monster one-on-one so things that can survive, and there's not a ton of fighters in the game that survive a chimera that hasn't been bracketed, that mm-hmm. dragon mauls you and then attacks you, uh, but they do exist. And if you play, you know, things like the big ogres, right, or yeah. um, like the annihilator prime, uh, a, a chimera that dragon mauls and an ogre you know not even an ogre tyrant but like an ogre crusher or an ogre gut lord and then doesn't kill it that chimera is dead like that player lost the game um so so they won't do that right because they're not just going to purposefully lose uh so then they it just sort of 
really closes down their options. So I think you want warbands that have, um, unfortunately, you know, sort of going back to the way you had to build in 1.0, but I think you want warbands that have a few really scary threats and then a lot of cheap fighters um, so that you can keep your activations up, uh, force the monster to activate in not great places, and then just put a ton of damage on it um, the second it makes itself vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, like, if we were using 1.0, spiders would be amazing against monsters, right? Oh, yeah. And... Spiders are by far the most powerful thing that's ever been in the game. <laughs> right. Um, even little even little giant rats are, like, amazing against the monsters. Because, like you were saying, they only activate once. Are they going to disengage? Or do they gonna, are they going to attack those little giant rats? You know what I mean? And... If you have three of them, that takes up their entire round's activations if they try to kill them. So, yep. um, I mean, the downside is that you're losing those models, right? And But the upside is back in 1.0, they, they were a lot cheaper, so you could have a lot more. Um, they're a little bit more expensive now. But um, still, though, like, uh, Jason, I still think that, like, a 55-point ghoul that you have um, just engaging with the monster... Is it worth uh, one of? Is it worth Dragul versus for an activation? Like, is that is that worth it? What do you think? Uh, I agree with Dan that the you there are a couple ways to fight monsters. One is the activation war, um, and <clears throat> activation war, and also controlling movement. Um, there's some other you know zone defense. I think is what you called it in your video. Yeah. Um, I think I think zone defense is a technique that is should be used outside of monsters as well i use it all the time in my games um in little corners and crevices and things just to 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 block and and things but uh i think that um i i uh, if you have a fielded army that has a low activation count you're going to suffer with monsters um because the player unless you play really good in that zone defense if i had a monster and i was going up against someone that had a really low model count i would just i would do everything i could just to get you to spend all of your activations before i even engaged my monster because then i'd have complete freedom of doing stuff with him with yep. the three activations that he gets right. absolutely the biggest no-no against a monster is getting an important target out in the open that is already activated and oh, then the yeah. monster can just take one move to get to it and then it just has two attacks with no reprisal uh you know that's just completely devastating um yeah so that's the absolute worst thing you can do so you want to build warbands that don't have to put your important targets into uh into a position to let that happen yeah so to to justin to your kind of your question i think using a 55 point model to run into a monster to consume a monster's activation uh, is is a little situational, but it is uh, it is an early strategy that, or an early tactic that I would probably have at the surface of my tactic deck to consider if I was going up against the monster. Yeah, I just don't know if that. I like I said, I, I just don't know if that fifty-five point model, depending on how many models you have is worth the trade for one activation well it's so it's not early in the game at yeah. all because right. you're you know you will 
you will eat up one activation for that monster, and you will lose an activation every battle round from that point forward. Right. Right. Uh, so that's not a that's not an efficient trade at all. It, that's why I say it's. I think it's situational. Like, mm-hmm. are you doing something that's going to get a victory point for that battle round by throwing that fifty-five points at it, or are you later in the game where you are okay sacrifice? So it's got to be situational, yeah. not just a not just a tactic. Or, all right, I'm just going to throw it at it so that he can't come get my guy. And one thing that I think, you know, when I think of zone defense against a monster, I think about putting a model not up against the monster, but to the place where the monster would like to go. Yep. Uh, Because then the monster can't go there now, and so now it has to waste two activations instead of one Mm -hmm. by getting rid of your fighter, then, or like moving to your fighter, getting rid of your fighter and now it's still not even where it wants to go really right because your fighter was in the way blocking it so now it so you can if uh if you're kind of clever you know and there's it's tough to give this advice because it's like be good at the game which is is never fair right to tell people but you do have to kind (laughs) of try to think um cleverly about putting putting your little cheap 55 pointers into a spot where they're actually wasting three activations for the monster because they're first they're you know in the way and then they get killed and then they the monster's still not where it wants to be and then it, they're basically in the way twice um, which is hard to do i mean i'm not telling people it's easy yeah. but but if you give yourself models that can do it you know you can give yourself the tools i guess is what i'm saying right it, it's not easy to do you can't if you're facing a monster and you don't think about your play, you are just going to get kind of rolled over. Um, but if you are thinking about your play, there are definitely ways to outmaneuver them that way. So it's interesting you think of tools because as I was thinking about this topic, um, the thing that came to my mind was nets, nets, and more nets. Oh, interesting. Because right? um, I think if you've got nets, you've got um you've got some play here with it right and you may end up sacrificing your little net fighter because all of a sudden they can get dragged and mauled but for one round you've taken that monster out of the game if you as long as they don't have a dragon maul well no what i'm saying is is that like you can throw the net on them they can still dragon maul your little netter and he's dead maybe you know um but yeah, you're right. Like if he drags the malls and then you're still there and then he can activate again and attack. I guess I mean, that yeah, I guess that's the know, point yeah. is that the net I think the net becomes very situational against the monster because you have to get you have to get to the monster to throw the net before the monster has moved into a a position that gives them tactically relevant tactical right. relevance. Yeah. You have to win priority or else your net is useless. Uh right. so they're only so nets are only good half the time. Uh but then in later rounds, if the monster's already gotten to where it wants to go, then nets are never going to be useful again for the rest right. of that game. So uh, personally, I would worry. Like I would, I would say. How about this? I've said in other places, and I still think it's true. Having one net in every deployment zone is really, really good in Warcry right now. I wouldn't just put one net in every deployment zone and say oh i'm i'm gonna be okay against a monster i don't think right i don't think you would be okay um it's definitely a nice thing to have but but 
you know, the situation where you, you net a monster, it dragon mauls something other than the netter, is that that's a huge disaster, right? <laughs> that's true. You've just kind of <laughs> wasted wasted that, right? Right. So yeah, um, and Mike, you know, and I've only I only played one tournament with a monster, and it's the only time I've really played a monster. But I would say in almost all of the games I played, I moved the monster kind of once, and then he just stayed in that area the whole time because I. Yeah. yeah, he self-netted because <laughs> I put him in a place to where his six-inch right. had influence over multiple scoring locations in that mission. And yeah, so and come net me all you want because I'm yeah. where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, on ley lines, weren't you able to put your base somewhere where you could basically control two different objectives? Yep, I did. Yeah, yeah that's just dirty. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just an incredible capability. So that's where, you know, kind of the next thing is, so one, if you go first and you have little cheap fighters, you can go run there to where the monster would want to be. But I think the next thing is you need to have fighters that can put the hurt on these monsters. Um, Agreed. You know, Don't be like, afraid to try to bracket it. Yeah. yeah. Um, things. That yeah, because if you can reduce the movement and it's in a bad spot, like. Well, movement yeah. and damage, like yeah, you, you know, in several of the games I played, um, uh, the players said, "Well, I just want to kill the monster. I don't care about winning now. I just want to kill your monster." And I think they realized after they, you know, spent a significant amount knocking it down in bracket, like it really did nothing when it got down to its bottom two brackets. It could move like three inches, and it did, it was hitting on like ones and fours. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's a skeleton at that point, yeah, right? Yeah, at that point, it's just getting in the way. Yeah. So. Um, I yeah. tell people never to build around quads, um, and that's still true, but... I also think having a good rampager in your list is just mm-hmm. really nice to have in general because, yeah, you can never rely on it, but 37% chance, I mean, that most games you're going to have at least a round where you rampage. And if you have a really good rampager, um, the round where you have it, if you've kept your rampager alive but outside of Dragon Maul range, then mm-hmm. that monster is just living in utter fear of of rampage out of a Mm -hmm. good rampage fighter you know out of something that has decent move and really scary damage output and and yeah it probably costs you know three quarters of what a monster costs but um you know it, it solves your problem for you yeah and look there there are fighters out there that have pretty good damage abilities as well i mean let's talk about the wither lord right like um the toughness on a lot of the monsters is about four um i think very few of them actually have toughness five um most of them are toughness four and so you know wither lord 20 you know on depending on the dice can do like some significant damage just from the ability you know, and um, 10 points will bracket a monster down to, instead of fours and eights, it's hitting on threes and sixes, right, for damage. Yeah, I like I like a Wither Lord on offense. I worry about taking a Wither Lord because of... Um... <laughs> the defense, it's only 20 wounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. 
Um, But I was thinking about actually one of your favorites, like the Paladin with the Star Soul Mace as a fairly cheap guy. That guy is so beefy. Yeah, um, because he's got he's got toughness six. Um, I think chimeras kill them pretty pretty effectively, but any non chimera monster, you know, only paying 155 points for a a fighter who could credibly actually solo like win a fight against a monster is is pretty incredible. I think Um, he's strength five too, so he's hitting on like threes, fours, and fives against a chimera. Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can actually get him to fight against a chimera, you'll you'll win. I just don't think the chimera player will will let you without you know dragon maul and smushing him, um, because he's only got those twenty wounds. Yeah. I think you know you want things with ten wounds, and then you want things with like thirty plus wounds in your warband if you're worried yeah. about monsters. So things yeah. like. Um, you know these ogre maw tribes heroes are so scary to a monster, or uh, or uh, what's the like Osiarch bone reapers, um, the Morgasts, right? I yeah. think are pretty scary if you're a monster. Things like that. Yeah, I was just looking up the uh, the our boy Paladin was so strong. Yeah, yeah, he's got three attacks, strength five, four eight damage. So if he can get in there, he can he can cause a ruckus. And he has the brutal capability, which um, a brutal. If he had if he had a quad, right? Don't plan around this. But if he had a quad, he could make a bonus attack action, and you add half the value of the ability to the damage points for each hit and critical hit. Yeah, I think the takeaway here is. Um, a good tactic against the monster is to actually early in the game try to bracket it. Yeah. Because then that that's that's an effect you can have on it for the rest of the battle rounds. Um, you know, it's it's not easy to add health back that are a significant amount of health to move it back up a bracket uh in the game. So that's that's a lasting effect. Yeah. Yeah. So, well let me let me ask you this. I mean, you're saying early on in the game bracket it. Are you saying early in the game be aggressive with it? Because if you can be aggressive with a monster, you can usually keep it in that spot without it being able to move to where it needs to go. Now, you might be sacrificing fighters for that, but not being able to get to where it needs to go is kind of significant too, don't you think? It, it is, but that's guaranteed. That's requiring priority because a good monster player is going to anticipate what you're trying to do and move his monster early if he gets priority, or he's going to try to win with priority with his wild dice. Yeah. Or deployment is so dependent there, right? Because sometimes, um, true. sometimes you don't have, especially now with like move three fighters kind of ruling the game. Uh, there's just not a lot of warbands that have a ton of fighters that are going to be able to cross, say, a 14-inch deployment gap that is in some missions. So you don't always have the opportunity to to just like bum rush the monster yeah, run up there before it's actually moved um yeah yeah there's not there's never going to be a one size fits all but i think there's some key things to keep in mind uh about how to help with that monster if you can if you think you can clear cross the cross the valley and be aggressive and you've got a good priority role at the beginning meaning your, your dice and your ability dice yeah. then consider that you know um consider that 
Yeah, the tactics are really varied and really situational based on the terrain and the mission. But I think the biggest thing for me is just you got to give yourself the tools. You know, you you just can't be playing, um, you know, the the type of warband that that just can't eat. You if you can't counterpunch onto the monster and you can't bog it down, um, you're you're just gonna be in trouble. And I think a lot of people who have had really bad experiences with monsters. You know, like one of my favorite warbands is this uh, Slanesh warband that's like mostly Myrmidesh Pain Masters and mm-hmm. things like that that have generally gotten really good this edition, actually. Like like they go, they win their fights against Chaff and then actually they hold up elites for long enough to be pretty annoying. Uh, so these like 110, 130 point fighters have been pretty cool for me. But against a monster, that Slanesh list would just, you know, fall apart in two seconds right uh so you just have to you have to be playing fighters that give you a chance against it yeah and i mean i think we've talked about before how those 100 to like 150 point models sometimes are like point for point not your best fighters right they're just kind of uh uh, we've talked about how uh warcry has a middle tier fighter problem where their stats don't tend to match up with their points values that they have. And it sounds like, I mean, like if you're going to build a decent list anyway, that has some hard hitters and then some kind of more cheaper models as support, um, that works within the vein of fighting against monsters already. So, um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't look to those mid tier fighters, um, as like the solution for monsters here I, I think they're probably more the problem yeah which is a shame because i really think mid-tier fighters have been coming back into the game i mean we just talked we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about how 145 point bloated ones seem like they're really good and and right. i do think they're really good um yep. just not in this case yep yep definitely so hopefully that gives you all a couple of tips on how to take on these monsters that are out there um, you know, and then sometimes you're going to encounter an army that may not have it. So that's the, that's the amazing thing about this game is you have such varied lists and such different ideas of what may work and what might not work. And you never know until you bring it to the table. But, um, if you're looking to fight monsters, as, as we kind of recommended, get something beefy that can, that can take it out. That's designed to inflict massive damage, um, and, or look to really cheaper models to, um, kind of provide that slow down effect and bog some of these monsters down uh, where they where they may need it. So, um, but yeah, any any parting thoughts tonight, gentlemen? Well, if GW does what they've been doing and releases a whole bunch of rules that invalidate everything we say right after we record, <laughs> uh, then I'm sure before this airs they'll have shown all the rules and the seraphon uh pterodactyls will all have an ability where they carry off a monster and throw it off the table so <laughs> um you know <laughs> it's been really nice having this conversation before yeah. that rule drops so uh, everyone else can laugh at us yeah um i i, I have actually kind of a, a little uh, addendum uh kind of a do-over here uh, the Warcry FAQs came out, and we didn't talk about that. Um, not that we have to get into it, because I think most of them were still holdovers from the last uh, 
the last one. I think there's a couple of profiles that might have gotten updated. But the big FAQ that came out, which surprised me that this was the big one, was how to treat fighters that are taller than, um, you know, bridges and uh, uh, and archways and things like that on how they can move through those uh, those areas. And basically you take a measurement of the monster and you take a measurement of the, you know, the bridge to the floor. And as long as the area is higher from the bridge to the floor than half the height of the model, then the model can go under that. So, but it has to just scurries under. Yeah. Yeah. So good. They got around to it since the GUR terrain is pretty, pretty extreme for that. Right. Pretty, pretty dippy. Yep. But, uh, everything else seemed to be pretty normal. I'm kind of surprised they didn't nerf some monster stuff, but I just don't think that they're keeping track of the meta that closely to really know what's happening. I think, yeah, I think they want some more data. Yeah. I think it's a Tome of Champions only thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get out there and play some more games so we can get that data. That's right. Get that sweet, sweet data. So anyway, thank you everybody to uh, for listening us to, uh, tonight. We really appreciate it. If uh, if you all could leave us some feedback, that would be great. Uh, you know, uh, find us on YouTube. We'll be putting this up on YouTube. Uh, find us on iTunes. Find us on Spotify, uh, Google Play, uh, wherever you listen to us. If you could give us a rating. That uh, definitely helps us find more listeners just like you. So we appreciate the the ones we got. We appreciate you all for for hanging out with us. And uh, if you've got ideas for things that you would like to know, just hit us up on social media and let us know because we'd love to answer your questions out there. So in the meantime, keep the dice rolling and have a great night. See ya. See ya.